I am one of the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the shadows of the United States. To all, to all the, the dreamers, dreamers out, out there, there, we stand, we stand with, you. with you. You're listening to A is for America, a podcast from America's Voice, hosted by Joe Sudbay and Van Lee. Hello, and welcome to A is for America, a weekly deep dive podcast where we talk to allies and advocates on the front lines of a changing America. My name's Joe Sudbay. And my name's Van Lee here in San Jose, California. So today we're back with our all-star politics team here at America's Voice. On the line, we have Vera Vidal in Nevada, Adriana Ruggiero in California, Mario Carrillo in Texas, and Zachary Mueller in Kansas. Joe, what did you think about this week? What a week, man. It really turned out to be a blue wave. And the Democrats are going to pick up more seats than they have since Watergate. Uh, Right now, we're still counting votes in Arizona, in Florida, Georgia, possible uh, runoff in Georgia, very tight races in Florida. There will be recounts. And then Arizona, it looks like Kirsten Sinema has pulled into the lead. Keep an eye on those. Um, The other thing is a big win in Oregon where an effort to repeal that state sanctuary law was defeated. We're going to go through a lot of this, but Van, let's start with our colleague Viri because she's been with the caravan for uh, temporary protected status. She has to tell us the story of Nevada because once again, our friends in Nevada kicked ass. Viri, how are you doing? I am good. I'm really happy. It was a crazy election year, but thank God Nevada again. It's had a blue wave, so we are extremely happy for the results. You should be. Tell us, you knocked off Dean Heller, the incumbent Republican senator. That's a pickup for the Democrats with Jackie Rosen. And kept the House. You've got a new governor. You've got a new Democratic governor. Yes. Yes. Like, it's everything that happened in Nevada is just, like, very good news. Almost a million people voted on this election. Most of them voted Democrat. And in over 20 years, we haven't had a Democrat uh, governor. And now we have Steve Sisolak as a governor. Uh, Jackie Rosen was elected. Uh, again, Ivana, Ivana Cancela was elected. We have in, in the state, we have a majority of women that are going to be doing the legislature. So it's just good news back and forth. Uh, Dean Heller, who has failed Nevada to protect Nevada for so many years, now is out, and we have a new champion that is Jackie Rosen, and we just have really high expectations and really, really, really happy with all the results. Well, you also you got rid of Adam Laxalt, who ran for governor, who had been the attorney general, who was always on the wrong side, and now you have an attorney general who's an ally, Aaron Ford, who came from the state senate. That's another big pickup. It is a huge pickup because it's also the first time that we elect a African-American attorney general ever in the history of Nevada. So it's another great, great news. Um, we have a super majority in the state assembly, as I was saying, and woman majority. We elected the first black attorney general. We retain control of our two open U.S. House seats by re-electing Steve uh, Congress. He was a former congressman, Steve Horsford, and electing Susie Lee. Uh, so we got everything that we wanted. Sadly, we we couldn't get uh, Nelson Araujo as a Secretary of State, uh, who was a Latino running for Secretary of State. But 
the, the truth is that Nevada is a rice spot again and it happened because the formula that we have in Nevada works and it means doing uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of one-on-one conversations, only the culinary not like uh, the last number that I heard from them, they had over 50,000 one-on-one conversations. They had 300 people knocking on doors every single day for 12 hours every day. That is how Nevada does it. And that's how, that's the formula that other states should be using. And that combined with a communication strategy that is always listening from the ground up, that's how we work it in Nevada. Well, you know, I've said it before. I know other, other of our colleagues agree. We need to get you and your colleagues from Nevada on the road to tell the story of how you do it because we could all learn so much from you. And I know, Viri, you're traveling right now, so we won't keep you, but thank you for joining us today. From you know, And good luck with the caravan on TPS. That's another important issue that we'll be dealing with. And thank you for your work. Thank you so much. So, and last, last, last data is that 15% of Latinos in Nevada voted, which is huge. Right. That's 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 the highest turnout for Latinos, right? That 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 15% of the electorate was Latino. That's the highest number so far. And that, that number is only gonna grow and you guys kicked ass to make it happen. Van, that is like I just get so excited as you know when we talk about Nevada because it really is such important work. We know, and Joe, you're always lifting up Nevada. Mario, we know that you uh, suffered a little bit of a heartbreak this week. We know that you were a big fan of Beto O'Rourke, who did not win his Senate race in Texas this week, though from some of the articles that have been going around, it doesn't seem like that's going to be a major impediment for him. And Texas did notch a number of major wins. There are going to be first-time Latina congresswomen going to the House from Texas, and you posted huge voter turnout numbers, which is really big since you were such a low turnout state. What did you think of this week? Yeah, well, I guess we can start off with the heartbreak of the week, which was uh, El Paso Congressman Beto O'Rourke failing to unseat uh, Senator Ted Cruz. I don't think I was the only one who was heartbroken. I feel that probably more people outside of Texas were heartbroken than they were here, although obviously everyone who voted for him was also very heartbroken. But as mentioned, he he might have national aspirations after this race, but uh, for now I imagine he's going to want to rest after that whirlwind of a campaign that he ran. But honestly, there were so many positive takeaways from from this election cycle here in Texas. Namely, number one, that uh, as a statewide candidate here in Texas, he was able to narrow the gap down to about two and a half points, which two years ago would have felt like a pipe dream. You know, two years ago, Hillary Clinton lost Texas by nine points, which was an improvement from uh, Barack Obama running in 2012. And again, back to your point on voter turnout, this year it seems that the turnout's going to settle in somewhere between 53 and 54% now. I know that doesn't sound too great. I feel like there's obviously a lot of room for improvement, but that that compared to our last midterm election in 2014, which where it was um, about 35% turnout. This is huge. This is really, really big. And a lot of that turnout, as has been noted by our friends at Latino Decisions, has come from folks along the border, which are heavy Latino districts and heavy Democratic districts. We saw more than a 100% uh, increase in turnout all the way from Cameron County, where Brownsville is down in the Rio Grande Valley, up to El Paso. So uh, I feel like there are a lot of amazing takeaways in Harris County, which is the third largest county in the country, there was a huge blue tsunami there. There were 19 uh, African-American women who were running for judges, and each of them won. And there was also 
27-year-old Lina Hidalgo who won uh, to become the Harris County judge. So she will oversee uh, the third largest county in the country. As you mentioned, two Latinas are now going to the House of Representatives. And uh, in the Texas House, Democrats won 12 seats that they have now flipped. So the uh, Republicans will no longer have a supermajority here in the state. And in Congress, there were two seats that were flipped from Republican to Democrat. Texas 7, uh, John Culberson was defeated by Lizzie Fletcher. And Texas 32, Pete Sessions was defeated by Colin Allred. So uh, huge gains made in Texas. And in Texas 23, one of the races that we talked about during the year more than more than others it's still too close to call i think it's going to be uh, difficult for for gina ortiz jones to end up winning but i feel that the beto effect really took effect in the entire state and it was able to lift up other races and um from what i'm hearing now and from what i'm seeing from reporters in texas it seems like gina ortiz jones will likely end up in a recount with will Hurd, and we'll see how that ends up turning out uh, there's still some votes to be counted here so overall uh, i think there, there was a little bit of a heartbreak. I was uh, with uh, some some colleagues of mine in Austin on election night, and the, the Senate race was called fairly early in the night, so that kind of put a damper on the night. Um, but I feel like as, as the news settled in, people kind of started appreciating what the, the campaign had become, what it had been able to accomplish over the last 24, uh, 20, 20 to 24 months. So uh, I, I think the future is bright not only for, for Beto, but for, for Texas as well. And he really has set a foundation that I hope we're able to uh, continue building on. Well, Mario, in addition to, I mean, look, Ted, Ken Paxson, who's under indictment, was reelected. He got 50.6% of the vote. Justin Nelson, right. who was a relative unknown. I mean, Justin Nelson's great. 47% of the vote. Uh, Dan Patrick only got 513 You know, this... If you're a Republican uh, in Texas, you woke up that next day thinking, oh, my God, this state is turning purple. And it's something that we've talked about on the show. We've talked about on this podcast. I mean, we've talked about how the need to invest in Texas. And I hope this opens up a lot of eyes. These are vote. There are millions. And you've pointed out on Twitter. I've seen it many times. I've heard you say it. There are millions of votes left on the table. And that's malpractice. Mm -hmm. And right now, going into 2020, Democrats need to figure out if they want to start taking Texas because uh, our, our good friend Christina Zinzoon at Jolt, I remember her saying that, you know, the road to a progressive America runs through Texas. When you change Texas, you change everything. Right. And we can see, we can start to see how that can happen now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just to, to point out the, the room for growth that we have. So the, the county with the highest turnout ended up being Travis uh, here where I am in, in Austin, where, where I think it was pushing 63, 65%. But then when you look at El Paso, it was 44. Cameron County was in the high 30s. Uh, Hidalgo County, where McAllen is, it's still in the low 40s. So I think, you know, there were amazing gains made in these border counties compared to where they were in 2014. El Paso's turnout in 2014 was at around 19%. So it's it's huge. There's something here and it's noticeable. And Christine is absolutely right in saying that the progressive uh, the movement has to come to Texas and it has to invest heavily because we are leaving many, many votes on the table. But uh, I don't want to take away any of the credit to uh, organizations like Joel or Move who really, really tapped into something amazing this year that we're hoping to uh, continue moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great work. Adriana, California, we're still waiting for votes in California, which we knew would happen. But overall, California's showed up. I know. And I know. <laughs> you're right. 
Joe, there are still thousands of ballots that are being counted, just as you mentioned right now, particularly in these four races that are too close to call. But there is no question about the fact that the midterm elections gave California an, an exceptional opportunity to return to the relevance in a national election. I mean, out of 50 districts in California, Republican held seven that have been considered traditionally Republican and Democrats retain 40. Uh, and if you look at the details, you will find that Democrats won with a very comfortable margin and in, a, in the majority of the districts, while Republican wins were not that strong, meaning that they they won with a smaller margin and they actually lost one district, the 49th, uh, and also could lose another one, the 48th district located in Orange County, which has been a very polemic uh, area, a district that is considered one of the richest and whitest district that has been Republican territory since 1993. And uh, it's, it's at risk right now. A Democrat is leading there. Another uh, district that is in a similar situation is the 25th, which covers the areas of Simi Valley, Santa Clarita, and the Antelope Valley. We're also seeing another very tight situation there uh, where a Democrat is leading and another Republican could lose another district. Uh, so yes, California showed up and a lot of lines were here until very, very late. Um, we're still waiting um, uh, for the next weeks and days. We're gonna we're gonna continue receiving new information. Um, but another important part of this whole uh, movement is the work of the different organizations that were mobilizing people on the ground. And I can tell you guys the work that they were doing on election day to call people, to be available, to respond to very basic questions that still the voters had. Um, it was it was amazing. And I think it's very important to give them credit because they have been a very important piece in this whole movement and, and what on what we saw on election night. Absolutely, absolutely. And so important. And they did get out the vote. And, you know, like you said, California 48, that's Dana Rohrabacher. He's gone. He ran a horribly racist, nasty uh, anti-immigrant video. He's one of the only Californians to do that. We saw that all over the country, but little in California. And like you said, we're still waiting tens of thousands of votes out in California 10, 39, and 45. We're all trending. As the more votes have come in, they've been better for Democrats. And one of the things I've seen in a couple of charts is uh, older and um, older white voters tend to vote early. So those votes are counted. This is our vote coming in now. So really exciting and really exciting to know that California showed up and that so many organizations were working on the front lines to get that vote out. Yeah, and I uh, want to emphasize, Joe, and because this is very important, these territories where we're waiting to see the numbers and that have been uh, that are held by Republicans have been territories where they have dominated for years in a very comfortable situation. And now they're very tight. That's something very important that we should not miss. It's very important to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, you know, like like the, the key thing is younger voters showed up and the younger voters in your state are progressive, a very diverse group of young voters. 
they showed up in bigger numbers too. So, and that was a lot of the work that you were documenting through the through uh, Power California and other organizations doing such great work. So, really great stuff, and I'm so glad we had you there um, because on the ground, Adriana, to, to lift up those stories because I think a lot of it might not have been told. Thank you. No, I, I think you're right. I think many of these uh, organizers were so focused on getting the work done that they didn't really have a chance to to maybe share some of this in the media. And uh, I, I am very grateful I had the opportunity to connect some of these stories uh, to, you know, media or bring them out to bring some light on social media too, uh, and just put out there and, and let people know that this work was uh, happening, that these efforts were getting done by folks on the ground, and particularly that young Latinos who are the majority of the young population in California, we're mobilizing, we're getting, we're engaging in conversations about what was important in their communities. Uh, it was something that I was not seeing um, necessarily on, on TV, but when I went out and I was visiting communities, I was seeing this uh, community events and they were having conversations about what was was what was important about environmental issues, about healthcare, about immigration, of course, which was a main force for them to go out and vote. So yes, young Latinos and young voters in California were a central part of what happened in California in this midterm elections, Joe. Great stuff, great stuff. And last, but definitely not least, uh, Zach, I want to turn to you. So I'll tell you guys the one of the most memorable moments of my Tuesday night. So to paint the picture, we were all hanging out on Google together, just chatting throughout the night. We were all kind of depressed and waiting for results. Uh, we didn't necessarily think that the house would be called in our favor. Suddenly, there was a whole bunch of screaming coming from Zach's microphone in Kansas, where the race for Chris Kobach had just been called. And Kobach wasn't the only anti-immigrant extremist who lost that night. Lou Barletta in Pennsylvania lost. Corey Stewart in Virginia lost. These are major anti-immigrant players. In addition to that, some two dozen congressional candidates and other candidates across the nation who ran very anti-immigrant ads all lost. But Chris Kobach is definitely huge for us. And I'm definitely glad that he's not going to be advancing to the governor's office in Kansas. Zach, what did you think about that night? Yeah, no, it was an incredible night. And it was a it was actually a big surprise. I think, you know, um, you know, it, I think, you know, six months ago, if anybody would have told you that um, Chris Kobach was going to lose the governor's race, you know, I would have looked at them crazy. Um, but, you know, there was, um, you know, during his campaign, he ran a campaign that was explicitly anti-immigrant and counted on his voter suppression efforts. And that's all he campaigned upon was blaming immigrants for the the, the, the problems of, of the state and, and, and doing that falsely. And that's what he campaigned on, wrapping himself in Donald uh, around Donald Trump as much as possible. And the voters in Ruby Red, Kansas turned out and, and, and widely rejected him almost by five points in that race. And then also um, other good news in, in Kansas as well is Kansas uh, third congressional district. Uh, Sharice Davis uh, won that race as well, almost by 10 points, um, unseating Kevin Yoder, um, the Republican there as well. So um, just for listeners to know as well, too. So just a reminder, um, back in 2016, uh, Kansas went by over 20 points for Donald Trump. And then just two short years later, um, somebody who is 
deeply tied to the president and is promoting a lot of the anti-immigrant agendas and running the anti-immigrant campaign loses um, head over heels uh, to the Democrat in the race that focused on kitchen table issues um, around health care and jobs and education, uh, what, what voters really are concerned about when they lay their heads down when they go to sleep. Zach, I have to say that moment when we started hearing that Kobach had lost, I, I'm not going to lie, I was jumping up and down. Uh, Matt Barreto was here from Latino Decisions. We were high-fiving each other. My husband, Carlos, he was jumping up and down. That was like, that to me was the turning point. Van mentioned, you know, some of the early numbers were kind of depressing because Texas, um, Florida wasn't looking so good and a lot of the races hadn't been called yet. We, we picked up momentum as the night wore on, but it really was such a great moment. And Sharice Davids, who you mentioned, was attacked um, for her immigrant positions by the Congressional Leadership Fund and the National Republican Campaign Committee. They ran really aggressively against her. She's Native American. She's a lesbian. It was a huge win and, you know, really put a bright blue spot in the middle of the country uh, in in Kansas. And we've said this on this podcast before. No one knew Kobach's record better than you did. And it was just a joy to see him go down. And the Kansas City Star has an article today that is just luscious about how inept he was in his campaign, which isn't a surprise if you follow his career, because you know he everything he touches, he screws up. Yeah, he's, right? he's had a bad habit of, of, of failing up over and over again. Um, whether, that be in, whether that be in the courts um, or some of the other things that he's in, advanced in life, he continues to fail and continues to fail up. But but hopefully, um, you know, this rebuke from, you know, his fellow Kansans um, on Tuesday will be a large sign that, you know, he is not in a position where anybody wants him to lead. Um, you know, in that room that night, I, I was I was w- watching the returns coming in with with the Kansas Missouri uh, Dream Alliance, um, the uh, organization of young folks um, here in the area that have been pushing for the Dream Act and pushing for education rights for undocumented immigrants. And the whole room erupted. Um, a lot of these folks were out knocking doors um, and and and, move, and mobilizing um, the uh, Latino community and the neighborhoods throughout Kansas um, to talk about what really Chris Kobach would mean. And many folks were, were really worried and really concerned about his elevation to the governor's mansion. And as people were cheering, it was there was also a, a sense right afterwards of almost disbelief. Folks were asking and saying, "Is this real? Is this real?" Um, because they were so excited and so hopeful that you know the future um looked much brighter and they could all take a a sigh of relief yeah it's so great it's so great i keep writing on twitter chris kobach lost because i just like writing it and there were rumors that he might be appointed to the attorney general which would of course fit right in with trump it would be just like trump to appoint an attorney general who has been ordered to take remedial legal education classes by a judge but that's looking less likely maybe homeland security maybe they'll find a job for him but a big win a, a strong rebuke to chris kobach and thank you for your work out there this has just been you know listening to this recap today van really it was such a great week and You've been documenting on the website. We've got up some some of the results we did from our um, American Election Eve polling, the top lines. I strongly encourage folks to take a look. We really had an amazing group of partners who did that. We've got uh, we did a, a full sample of the battleground poll 
districts uh, of white voters, African-American, Asian-American, and Pacific Islander, Latino. We did a full sample of Native Americans in the country. We looked at six states, Arizona, California, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, and Texas. If you want really good information about how people of color voted, check out this American Election Eve poll because the exit polls don't capture voters of color. They just don't. It's just they, they've never geared to do that. Uh, the networks and others overinterpret them. If you want the best information, check out our polling. And you have you've done another a number of other analyses of races where the negative ads failed, Van, and just great stuff. Any last thoughts, Mario? What's your what's your takeaway from the week? <laughs> I think my takeaway remains um, similar to the takeaway of, of many people around the country, not just in Texas, but what Beto will do next. I think he'll probably rest for for some time. Uh, and then from there, he'll likely decide whether or not he wants to get into the 2020 fight. There are options there, whether he wants to take on John Cornyn in 2020, whether he wants to throw his name in the hat for presidential. There remains a lot uh, to be seen, a lot to be planned for. But beyond that, we have the Texas legislature that's coming up uh, in 2019. So we have to really prepare for that. As we know, we have SP4 here still in Texas that uh, is going to target a lot of immigrants. So while we have seen great gains now we're going to have to go back on the defensive a bit but continue building while we do that uh and, and then from there hopefully really get a good analysis of, of the latino vote and where we're strong and where we still need to to do some work and uh looking forward to working with partners on that well it's good that you have 12 more democrats in the house of representatives and let's not forget that one of the losers yes matt rinaldi Oh, what a jerk. Yeah, what yeah. a jerk, right? Yeah, he he was the uh, representative uh, that called ICE or threatened to call ICE on protesters who were in the Texas state capitol during the, the really nasty SB4 fight that almost led to an actual fist fight on, on the House floor that he uh, instigated. So he was defeated handily by Julie Johnson. I think he lost by more than 10 points. So uh, a, a big testament to, to the young immigrants, especially with United We Dream, who, who really made it a point um, a, after that dust up to, to try to get him out of office. And it and again goes to show the, the power of the community there. So good riddance that he's gone and he, he will not be missed. Not at all missed. And uh, Adriana, what's your takeaway? I really want to celebrate and highlight before we go the fact that in a momentum, in a moment where the country is so polarized and race is being used as a topic to divide and uh, separate people, I think it's important to celebrate the fact that um, Latinos uh, are are reaching a very an unprecedented level of representation on Capitol Hill. Uh, these elections also gave us a lot of diversity, having the first Muslim um, women uh, elected, uh, having the first gay man elected governor in the country. I think I think this is this is wonderful, and I think that we need to celebrate that because in a moment where times are very difficult, we're rising and we're we're fighting back against this negative rhetoric and i think this is actually this has actually energized a lot of people and a lot of minorities and i think that's very important excellent excellent point what about you zach muller you know i, I think you know what tuesdays in a light 
election night showed us this was a repudiation of the anti-immigrant and the super far right um, folks that want to blame immigrants from whether that's um, in Oregon and the, the sound defeat of uh, Measure 105 um, or Chris Kobach in Kansas or Lou Barletta, Barletta in Pennsylvania or David, Dave Bratt in, in Virginia. Across the country, voters went out and they really rejected this um, vile anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric from these politicians. I think we should take that and, and be hopeful and, and take that as we, as we move forward um, into 2020 as well. And Corey Stewart in Virginia, don't forget him. <laughs> that was a big, good, good laws on that one, right? And and so many of our colleagues were on the front lines doing the work in in Georgia and in Florida, where there are still counting votes, and in Arizona, where they're still counting votes. And you know, it was just an amazing week. It was so impressive. It just gave me hope in America again. We 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 are prepared to fight back. And don't forget, like, you know, the Democrats now have power. Donald Trump is going to be held accountable. He won't even know how to deal with this. And he, like, just, just, you know, I watched a lot of Republican ads. I watched all of them. It was the most, one of the most painful things of the past year. But they all attacked Nancy Pelosi and talked about how scary she was. The person who's going to find out how tough and scary Nancy Pelosi is, is Donald Trump. And I look forward to that. I look forward to the hearings on Capitol Hill when Kirsten Nielsen is called up and held accountable for the first time. And when whoever the new attorney general is has to deal with Democrats on the Hill calling them out and holding them accountable for what they are doing. There's a lot of work left to be done. There's going to be a lot they're going to throw at us over the next couple of weeks. They're, you know, they've launched their new asylum policy this week. There's going to be a fight over the border wall in the lame duck session. But we are poised for change, and it's all because of the work so many people on the front lines did. I am honored to be on this call with my colleagues, um, Viri, who had to leave Viri Vidal from Nevada, Zach Muller out in Kansas, Mario Carrillo in Texas, Adriano Ruggiero in California, Van Lee, my co-host here on A is for America, our weekly deep dive podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week with more stories from the front lines of a changing America.